you have your Bibles, would you go to Lamentations chapter 3? If you're new to Scripture, then you probably have never heard the word Lamentations. Uh, so, you know, don't, no shame at all. Go to the table of contents, and it's a really long word. As a kid, I thought it said Lamentations. Um, it's Lamentations, which actually, that's not a bad term for it, because to lament and to cry out, uh, it kind of fits lemons. So, Lamentations chapter 3 is what we're going to dive into, and what I believe is going to be a very prophetic word for this church, for, the, for this people, and for those listening. Um, it's, I, I knew people have been starving for hope and, and, and desiring for hope, and I'm telling you what, looking at the analytics of last week's online uh, message, uh, we had you know, great attendance on Sunday morning here, but online, uh, the amount of people sharing the message, watching the message, getting contact from pastors, um, just sending me, they sent me pictures of them watching um, later in the week on, uh, just on their computers, just talking about hope people are starving for hope. So thank you for sharing the message. Thank you for um, really being a proponent of the message of hope. And especially as, as, as the, the week that we've ex experienced here in America, we, we, we need hope more than ever. Um, I don't know what else to say other than what I said on Facebook, and I'll repeat it today because I think it applies to more than what just took place at the Capitol. Whatever spirit that is driving Rioting, destruction, and the disrespect of human life is not the spirit of Christ. I will say that of what happens in any city and what has happened, especially in our capital. Whatever is pushing rioting, the disrespect of human life, and the destruction of things around is not the spirit of Christ. We at this church, we are not a Republican church nor a Democrat church. This is, especially this week, it's not about, it's not about the parties we at this church are about the kingdom of God and we are a kingdom first church. And sometimes at the kingdom of God, it will step on your Republican toes or your Democrat toes, but we are about the kingdom of God and that's what we're gonna keep pushing forward. And so I would invite you in the 21 days of prayer and fasting, um, I, I wanted it designed so that we were praying as an individual and then we would think about praying not just as an individual, but over our community, then over our city, and then extending it over our nation. But I have a hard time praying over other people to change before I see the change happen within myself. I want to see the Spirit of God do a work. Lamentations chapter 3. I'm glad that you gave you enough time to get to Lamentations. It's not the easiest to find. Um, in fact, on the screens, it'll start at verse 22 in you version. I tweaked it this morning. We're going to start at verse 20. So if you don't see verse 20 up here, it has nothing to do with them up there. It has everything to do with me not getting my admin the proper verses. So verse 20 says, my soul continually remembers it and it is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. See if anybody turned to Lamentations. Verse 22, for the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will what? Hope in him. For the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Oh, my word. This, I love this passage. 
I love what we see happen within this prophet who is lamenting. Lamenting means to cry out, to be brokenhearted. If you know the Enneagram scale, I, I believe Jeremiah, who is credited with writing this, he was a four. Man, this dude's got a lot of emotions going on. He's known as the weeping prophet. How would you like that to be your moniker? Hey, that's the weeping congregation member. Uh, some of you are like, you know, that's our weeping pastor. Okay, I, I, I have the tears. But I love that. Get this. He says, the steadfast of the Lord never ceases. The mercies never come to an end. They're new when? Every morning. Morning hits and he immediately says, the Lord is my portion, therefore I have hope. There's something very beautiful connecting the idea of the morning sun rising and the idea that hope is here. That's why I believe this is a very prophetic word for our people, for those listening, and for the body of Christ today, is that we are a people that cannot live as if the darkness is here to last. We cannot live life wondering, will the sun ever appear? We don't have to live that way physically. And I'm here to give a word this morning. You don't have to live like that spiritually. You may be feeling hopeless, but I'm here to tell you that the sun can rise and the sun will rise. And I can get really cheesy this morning and talk about this S-O-N rose 2,000 years ago. Oh, I know, a little cheesy there. But I'm here to say that the sun will rise in your day. And though though weeping may last for the night, scripture says joy comes when? In the morning. There is a morning that is dawning and a sun that is rising. And for those living hopeless, I just prophetically say in your life, lift up your eyes because the sun is rising. Hope has come. We are going to be a people of hope and we're going to turn this city into hope as we move into three weeks of prayer and fasting, because I believe about prayer and fasting is not something that we simply do for a few moments. It's what we live. We step into prayer and we begin to live it out and we turn this place into Hope City. It's time for hope to rise. Let's pray, because I'm getting all worked up and I'm not ready to preach yet. Jesus, help us today. Guide us today. I pray that hope would rise in this place, that hope would, Lord, rise in people's hearts like the sun rising in the east. Let it permeate our souls and transform the way that we look at the world around us. God, I am tired of the inaccuracies of hopelessness. I am tired of the inaccuracies of darkness. I am tired of, Lord, the joy that has been stolen from the church and its people. God, the church does not belong to this world. It is your bride. It is your bride, oh God. I pray that you would just manifest hope in us like never before. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. The Lions don't play today. There's a lot of hope in the house. Growing up in school, I've got a lot of memories of school. I can name off every single one of my teachers growing up all throughout elementary school. Uh, whenever I visit uh, my best friend, he pastors literally next door to my elementary school, Burr Elementary in Sterling Heights, Michigan. Um, loved my years at Burr. And I remember just going in and, and getting acclimated in my first day of kindergarten for some weird reason. And mom trying to encourage me to go meet people. But for an introverted kindergartner, um, that just didn't work. But so the extroverts came to meet me. Thank God for extroverts. Lord Jesus, thank you for extroverts in our lives. And that's where I met some of my best friends. In fact, somebody just friended me on Facebook that I went to kindergarten with this week. It was weird, creepy, and cool all at the same time. So... Um, But in our classes, we had what I don't see a lot of nowadays. 
we had these things called chalkboards. There's some people like, what's a chalkboard? Oh, deprived generations. Um, we had these things called chalkboards, but specifically there was something that hung above the chalkboard that there are some people that just don't get the concept of uh, just because there's screens that are everywhere. But what it looked like, I don't know if, if any of you have shades in your house. We have blinds in our house, but some of you, I don't know if you have shades where you take the shade and you pull it down and the mechanism locks and it blocks out the light. And when you need light, you pull down a little bit and either you're not supposed to let go, even though it's fun or funner, uh, but you let it go and it spins up top. That, my grandparents had those type of shades, uh, but there was something in our classroom that was just like that. What was above, do you remember what was above the chalkboard that you pulled down? What was that? Maps. Give yourself a Pop-Tart. Maps. That's, except for Mrs. Tanner, my first grade teacher, she was too short to reach it. So she had her pointing stick that had a hook on the end. So she would walk up, get it, pull it down, hook it on. Remember that little nail underneath because none of the mechanisms actually worked in the classroom. So you put a little, you know what I'm talking about? A little nail, held the map, allowed the map to stay. And we all have vivid memories of that. And every once in a while, the map would undo in the middle of her lesson during geography. And we would just laugh and she'd get mad and get the stick out and pull it back down. Oh man, it was just one of those moments that I just remember very vividly. But the, when I talk about maps, when I think about maps, I think about a specific map that I think we all have come to understand. So Chelsea, if you could put up the map. Um, this is the map that most of us uh, grew up kind of originally looking at. And for some reason, uh, we are against Antarctica. So we've left Antarctica off of this map. Um, don't tell people from there, they'll get offended. So this is what map that we're normally used to seeing. Now, when we look at this, this is how many of us grew up seeing the world. And even though this is how we see the world, this is not necessarily how the world is. Now, I recognize that what I'm about to say, there are maybe one, two, or a few of you that may disagree with me, be very angry at me, and you're gonna message me in just a few seconds. I'm just gonna ask, don't message me, show me grace. I believe the world is round. That's just me. And I know a few flat earthers, they're friends, I love them and I respect them. We disagree on this point, so if you're a flat earther in the house, just bear with me for a few moments here. But with making a globe with, the, with the, the theory of the round earth, with having a globe, what they didn't want to do is hand globes to those that are navigating via uh, ships, boats, um, planes, things like that. And so what they needed was they didn't want want to pass on globes, but they basically needed to peel off that which is outside of a globe and make it flat so that it could easily be read and navigated. So when they begin to make what we know as this type of map, they begin to change things. They they took artistic license and kind of tweak some things a little bit. And what they needed to do was create kind of a, a straightness of the map straight lines across the map, the, the latitude launch, they started creating things so that ships and boats could just honestly follow straight lines. But within this, and with all of the artistic license, it created inaccuracies between what we see and what is actually there. Let me say that again, because I want that to really sink in. With what was created, it created inaccuracies between what we see what we are thinking, and what is actually there. Now, when we look at this map, uh, please, everybody, you know where the United States of North America is, correct? Yes, please, this is where we live. Know where that's at. To the right and up above it, we have what's called Greenland. Side note, why is Greenland called... 
full of ice and Iceland full of green. Nobody knows. Forget about asking it. Some of you are going to send me some weird article about that. I don't, that's fine. But if you look up and see Greenland and then you look down and see Africa, this is the question is which one is bigger? Which one is bigger? How many of you think that Greenland's bigger than Africa? Anybody? Bueller, Bueller. Oh, I got one. Thank you for that hand. God bless you. How many of you think Africa's bigger than Greenland? There's some of you that are like me. You, never, you learn never raise your hand when the pastor says raise a hand other than salvation. Some of you are in that same spot. My first day of Bible college, book of Isaiah, teacher asked the question, I thrust my hand in the air and he was like, you would be wrong. I'm like, never raise my hand again. That was me. But this is what we've grown to see. This is what we've grown to know. But what I wanna show you is something that actually kind of messes with your brain a bit because this is all that we've known. Show us the new map. When we look at this new map, look at Greenland and look at Africa because you're gonna realize that Africa is 14 times the size of Greenland. But because of the artistic license when they took the original globe and just kind of made it flat, they had to shrink things down to fit everything on there. Um, honestly, if you would have seen Antarctica on it, Antarctica on the first map would have stretched almost from side to side to side. And Antarctica is actually the fifth largest continent, even though it would have looked like the largest continent. And so we look at all of this and we see things for how they are in the first map, uh, how they seem to be. And this is how we think they are. And or how they really are. And so when we look at this and you're thinking, what does this have to do with hope? I think this has everything to do with hope. Go back to the first map, if you would. We live in a world that will say, this is how things has to be, or this is how things are. We'll hear this from news outlets. We hear this from social media. We hear this from influences that will give us their perception and what they feel is their accuracy of how things are. Go to the next map. But some of us need to take a step back and stop leaning upon that which what people tell us things are or the conditions that things are in. And we need to stop looking at the inaccuracies for which people have taken artistic license over vision and over future and over the state of things and we've got to stop depending upon the word that the world has given us and start depending upon that which God has given us in Christ Jesus and we call it hope. Hope does not distort reality, fear does. Hope does not distort reality, anger does. Hope doesn't distort reality, it's fear does, anger does, hate does. And so what I want to do today is, yes, I'm not being a proponent of changing all of our globes and maps. Do not go home and throw away all your maps because Pastor Dave said so. What I'm trying to get us to come to grips is this is that when we get hope in our life, we have a more accurate way to view the world and to view the things around you. Because fear wants to transform the map of your world. Anger wants to transform the map of your world. I deal with depression every now and then, and I'll tell you, Depression wants to reorient how you look at the world. And instead of leaning upon what man says, I say, let's look at who God is. Let's look at what the Spirit of God says. And let's be a people of hope and begin to shape what this world was meant to look like. We are to be a people of hope. But when we talk about direction, I don't know about you, I start off with north. Do you start off with north? I think most of us do. Uh, my son got a really cool um, compass for his birthday. I'm very envious of it. Um, but you get a compass out. What do we immediately look for? North. Because that's where the painted needle points towards. And when we try to get our bearings, we want to find north because we're very north-oriented people. Where do we live? And we live in North America. Um, the, the, the birds, when they get cold, they fly 
Not south, actually flying toward the middle of the earth, not toward the south of the earth. That would be even colder. Well, that's, we're not going to get into that this morning. But when it comes to the directions of what would have been the culture of the Bible, is they weren't north-oriented people. You know what they were? They were east-oriented people. East. In fact, the word east means the dawn or the dawn rises. The word north, you know what the word north actually means? To the left. Like Beyonce, to the left, to the left. And so when it comes to the, the idea of this culture, East was the way they lived. And because a lot of their understanding about the idea of East, it, it, that was the way they kind of oriented everything about their directions. They're like, well, how do they know where to go? They didn't have compasses back then. You know what they had? The sun. And so when the sun rose, they knew exactly where the east was. And so that's how they oriented their life. And if you really study a lot of ancient cultures and specifically the biblical culture, the sunrise or the dawn of a new day was something that actually helped produce hope. Why? Because if a new day took place, that means there were new opportunities. If a, when, a, when the sun rose, it was something noteworthy. When the sunshine began to take place in the morning, they said this, there was a special event that could happen because every time the sun rises, that meant that God has the capability to do something brand new today. But what would happen in our spirits if we were that type of people, that the first thing that we turned to wasn't social media, or it wasn't a news channel, or it wasn't our own opinions? What if the first thing that we did was we looked toward the east and we recognized that God caused something to rise that told us that over your life and over your marriage, over your children, over your job and over our nation, there can be new possibilities and a new day of miracles. What if that took place? That brings us to Jeremiah. You're like, he finally got there. We talked about maps for like 20 minutes. Jeremiah, book of Jeremiah is tremendous um, and it's tragic at the same time. The weeping prophet speaking over the people of God saying, if you keep going this direction, it's nothing but destruction. Turn back toward the Lord. And at one point, and I'm so glad you've never done this to me. They got so sick of his preaching that they threw him into an empty well. Thank you for not being that type of people. I appreciate that. They just left him there to die and they end up pulling him out and that's a whole different story. And he is credited with writing the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations um, sounds like a very depressing book, but it's a very special book. It's full of poems. In fact, each chapter is a different poem that the, the lamenter, the, the one who is crying, begins to write out to the people. And if you need a really cool study, um, Lamentations or to lament, is, it's a very special thing in scripture. And to lament means three things. If you are taking notes, this is a cool thing to write down. Lamenting in scripture does three things. Number one, it's a protest. There's a hot topic today. It's a protest. When you lament, it's a protest. And more specifically, lamenting is meant to do two things in terms of protest. What is protesting? It's bringing something to full attention. So lamenting was to bring something to the attention of human beings and to bring something to the attention of God. I, that is amazing to think about. That when he was lamenting, it's like, I'm trying to tell Israel something out here, and I'm at the same time saying, God, have mercy. Do something about this. And so it's, 
It's this beautiful place of protest. Secondly, it's a place to process emotions. Some of you, uh, you think emotions are evil. They're of the devil. They are not of the devil. God has blessed you with emotions. God has blessed some of us with more emotions than the others, and you think that we're the ones that are cursed. But emotions are great. They're tremendous. But they're not meant to rule your life. They're meant to be stewarded and ruled by the presence of God in your life. But to lament and to cry out means that you can process your emotions, which takes us to the third thing. It's a place for you to process your thoughts and actually ask questions of God. Some of you grew up in churches where you heard that it was wrong to question God, but when you read the Psalms, you're thinking that preaching wasn't necessarily accurate because the psalmist questions God all the time. But when we lament, it's great because we can get God's attention, we can cry out and process what we're feeling, and we can also process what we're thinking. And that's exactly what's happening in the book of Lamentations. So we've got different poems in different chapters. In verse, chapter three, we get this poem by a very hurting, lonely man. That's kind of the character behind the poem. The voice of the poem is a very hurting, lonely man. And if you read verses one through 19, there's some amazing, weird imagery. Because he's trying to describe what he's feeling on the inside. At one point, he says, your arrows have been shot into my kidneys. Yes, that's literally what he said. And the, the gravel is breaking apart my teeth. He's trying to describe, I mean, that's kind of graphic there. Uh, God, you shot me in the kidney. That's a weird thing to say out loud, but he's trying to process what he's going through on the inside. And he is trying to get out this anguish. He is getting God's attention while he is speaking out to humanity. He's trying to process what's going on here as well as in here. And he begins to cry out. And this is what I love in verse 20. Is he begins to pivot My soul continually remembers and is bowed down within me. And then I call to mind and I therefore have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Yeah, y'all gonna get on it this morning. Great is your faithfulness for the Lord is my portion. I love that. Is he has this pivot moment. He has this pivot where he goes from being in the place of anguish where he feels like his kidneys been pierced by arrows, teeth broken by gravel and all this other imagery where all of a sudden something switches and it seems like part of this switch is the connection between the sun rising, the dawn of a new day and hope taking place. That for him, sunrise was a mechanism Sunrise was a mechanism that triggered him into understanding that something new is going to be happening. Something different can be expected. Something is yet to be written in my day, and something has been built in in the creation of God to give us a fresh reset. I don't know if anybody needs a fresh reset after 2020. I, honestly, I need a fresh reset after this week. And God has built in this natural reset that it's not there just to simply put the, the sun above us and around us. And some of you are going to get into physics like we're rotating around the sun. It's not the sun rotating around us. I understand all of that. But God has built in this reset as, in, as if to remind us that every single day that we can have greater expectations, that we can see things that are yet to be written, that God has given us a reset. I'll tell you this. There's a, uh, there's a run that I do almost every single day. It is a 4.18-mile run. I run the same thing every single day. Why? Because I don't pay a lot of attention. If I don't run the same route, I will get lost. That's no joke. That's just who I am. And the most dangerous spot on my route is actually during the winter. And it's the same spot. I know about that spot, and I've learned to recognize it. You're like, what is so dangerous about it? Is there's no coyotes. Uh, there's no obstacles necessarily. It's the spot that actually has the most shade. 
And the reason why it's the most dangerous is because during these months, when things start melting around it, guess what doesn't melt? The one spot on my four-mile run where the sun doesn't touch the route. The most dangerous things in our life become the places where we refuse to let the sunshine of God, the light of God, the hope of God shine in our lives. I love, this, I love the song that Josh sang this morning, Come Alive in the Name of Jesus. And I'm believing that some of us today who have let dark areas grow in our life, whether we, whether we did it on purpose or whether something within us, is, if something has just happened and transpired and you're feeling depressed, you're feeling broken. Um, I hope that today is a prophetic word that says the sun is ready to shine upon the shadow areas because hope is like the sunrise it's not a matter of will it show up but when will it arrive hope is like the sunshine it's not a matter of wondering will it show up someday will it ever show up again do we ever wonder if the sun's ever going to shine again maybe in Michigan we feel that way sometimes or if you lived in Seattle and we joke about that but the reality is none of us ever wonder if the sun's going to come it's going to come again but hope is just like that we don't have to worry will hope show its face will Jesus give us hope again we may feel that way but I want to encourage you this morning that just as the sun rises and sets, the Lord will bring hope to his people. But like Jeremiah, we can allow the pressures around us to make us feel that hope can't happen again. I love this quote by William Barclay. I want you to get a hold of this. This is so good. He says, even in the darkest day, there are blessings to count. And we must remember that when we face the sun, the shadows fall behind us. And when we turn our back on the sun, all of the shadows will be up front. You know what this tells me? There's two ways to live. We can face the sun or we can face away from the sun. We can face the sun. We can face Christ or we can not face Christ. And understand that the way you view the world changes depending upon what is orienting your life. So if you find yourself full of things that are consuming your life, if you're consumed with troubles, you're consumed with what's wrong, you're consumed with what someone said constantly to you on, on, on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever your chosen social media thing is, if you're constantly consumed, I would challenge you to do this. Turn towards the sun. Turn towards the sun. In fact, I challenge you to do this. Physically turn toward the sun. Turn toward the sun and see exactly what William Barclay saw. Watch the shadows change. And when you see the shadows change, I want you to understand that just as much that God can show you that in the physical sense, God can do that in the spiritual sense. That if we will physically face Christ, you'll see the shadows change. Instead of seeing shadows that are cast over you, you begin to see the shadows are way behind you because that which is the source of hope, that which is the source of life is right in front of you calling you forward. I was reading, I started studying and just asking questions on Google. How much sunlight do human beings need every day? And I found that it can vary from 15 minutes to 30 minutes a day, depending upon who you are, pigment of your skin, all of that type of stuff. Because some skin needs sunlight more than others. But this is what I discovered. This is, I thought was really cool. They said, the best sunlight for your skin and for your body, the best sunlight, I was assuming noon, maybe three or four o'clock, but the best sunlight is actually the morning sunlight. And the reason why the best sunlight for your body physically is morning sunlight is because it will help you sleep at night. Does that sound weird to you? Because it sounds weird to me. 
Nobody's shaking hands. That's awesome. The reason why is they say in the, when you wake up and if you can get yourself five to 15 minutes of morning sunlight, what it does, it immediately tells your body, stop producing melatonin. Hits the reset on your body so that by the time you get ready at night, the body is then ready to wind down and go to sleep. Instead of, you don't get that melatonin shut off and you're dragging the morning and every one of us thinks that, well, we just need one more cup of coffee, one more cup of coffee. You may not need a cup of coffee. You just may need to put yourself in the light of the morning. And as much as that is biologically a very wonderful, cool thing that got us built into our bodies, I would challenge you this, that this is a beautiful spiritual practice. Because what would the interior compass of our life, how would we view the world around us instead of reorienting our life based around our cup of coffee? What if we oriented our life by the interior compass of our life being turned toward Christ every single morning? What if we began each morning in communion with Jesus? What if we began each morning in communion with the Spirit of God? What would that look like? And that's one of the reasons we're introducing 21 days of prayer and fasting to every single one of us. It's because we are gonna orient our life toward the Son of God. We're gonna orient our life. For the first week, I've split it up into three weeks. The first week, I, I, I use the metaphor of like a farmer. The first week is about breaking up the soil, breaking up that which is in our life. That's why we're gonna pray for repentance. That's why we're just gonna pray for that God would search our own hearts, that God would begin to work on our own lives and we're gonna break up hardened soil. Second week is all about seeding into that soil. It's all about doing just this, this, this work within our lives, saying, God, don't just break things apart, but God, begin to work some things inside of us and that will move us to week three where we see harvest. God now explodes something through our life. God prepares something, works something in us, and now do something through our lives because a church that simply prays. Yes, that's a, that can be a powerful church, but I don't think it's as powerful as not just praying, but begin to move in the, in the presence, in the obedience of the Spirit of God. We need to be a people of hope. And the way we do that is we reorient our life. Like in the days of old, where they would orient their lives toward the sun to figure out where they're supposed to go. That's how, this is how Jeremiah did it. 19 verses, I am broken, I am bruised, I am shattered, and I feel lost, and I don't know what to do. But then I see the morning sunlight, and I remember this, great is your faithfulness, God. I see the morning light, and I remember the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And everything you give me is new every single morning. We wake up and we face the light. What I love about hope is hope gives us blinders. I didn't say blindfold. I'm not talking about blind faith. Hope gives us blinders. You know what blinders are? Chelsea, put up that first one. Horses are a little different from us. I'm just realizing, I'm bringing up horses for the second week in a row. I promise this week I will not talk about manure. All right, that's the last week. Horses wear these blinders when they're pulling carriages because this is, this is the reason their eyes on the sides of their heads. And if they didn't have blinders, they would either get distracted by what other people are doing or they get distracted by the load that they're supposed to be bearing and carrying. And so instead of being focused on what they need to do and where they need to go, they can actually get distracted by their calling and other people's calling and what other people are doing. In fact, there's other type of blinders that horses wear. Show us that other one. It's racehorses. And they do this so that the horse 
will stop paying attention to the other horses and stay in its own lane. How many of us in the body of Christ that we have lost hope because we're so consumed with everybody else? We're consumed competing with this person or competing with this person. Can I just confess to you something this morning? I struggle competing. I struggle comparing myself with other churches and other pastors. I struggle comparing myself with other people's walks with God. And how many of us have lost hope? Not because Jesus hasn't given us hope because he's right in front of us, but our hope has been dependent upon what other people are doing. And I believe this morning that God is gonna help our eyes to get focused so that we're no longer getting petty with our anger because we're focused on what God wants us to do. We're no longer competing with other people because we're focused with what he wants us to do. We're no longer comparing ourselves with other people in their lanes. We're in our lane. We've got a focus. God wants to restore focus today. And hope is not there to blind us. Hope is there to help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. So what does hope give? Hope gives orientation. Let's wrap this sucker up. Hope this morning is gonna give you orientation. It's gonna give you direction. Look toward the east, see the sunrise, and then find out where you're supposed to go. I love that. East-oriented people, I, I, this, this has been sinking to me this past couple weeks. It's people that are fixated on the sun because they just know where they're going and they know what they need to do next. Focus your eyes upon the Son of God and it's gonna orientate your life. It's gonna give you directions. So not just direction, it's gonna give you secondly perspective. It's gonna help correct your vision. We can stop looking at the world the way the world wants to paint it for you. We can stop looking at the world the way a news outlet wants to paint it for you or what social media is wanting to paint it for you or honestly what, let's talk about Jeremiah, what your emotions want to paint it for you. Hope gives us vision. Jeremiah's vision, I love it, it says, because your mercies, they're new every single morning. And number three, and lastly, it gives us acceleration orientation, perspective, and acceleration. It helps us to move forward. And I love what Jeremiah says. This is how Jeremiah moves forward in the presence of God, in the presence of hope. This is what he says, verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord, for it's good that a man should bear this. I love that Jeremiah's way to accelerate doesn't start with him having to produce something. It starts with him waiting upon the Lord because as he waits upon the Lord, it's not him that accelerates, it's the Lord that accelerates him forward. Because so many of us are so busy trying to chase the favor of God. Don't worry about chasing the favor of God. Follow God and his favor will follow you. Follow in hope. Follow the hope that he gives. One of my favorite, favorite things to watch. It's my favorite documentary slash movie, like right now. Um, my wife will tell you, no joke, no exaggeration, I've watched it at least 20 times. I'm obsessed with it. And yes, it is about rock climbing, by the way. It's a movie called The Dawn Wall. Not Don, Dawn Wall. And in this movie, Tommy Caldwell, who is one of the world's greatest climbers, in fact, one of the greatest climbers of all time, in the movie, the documentary, he has a numbers of tragedies and trauma that has happened to his life, and his life is, it seems like it's just falling apart from the inside out. And he says these words, and he is actually driving to Yosemite in the, in the darkness, and there is a large mountain called El Capitan. And so he's driving there in the darkness, and this is what he says. 
He says, I'm crushed. And I drove to the rim of the Yosemite Valley and I looked across at El Capitan and I felt like El Cap was all I had. In the morning, there is this one panel of wall that illuminates first and that's why it's called the Dawn Wall. The last unclimbed swath of stone. But I had looked at it before and I knew I was never gonna be able to do it but I was hurting so bad that I had to figure out a distraction in life. I couldn't just sit there and feel the pain. If you would put up that picture of the Dawn Wall. This is where the early light hits the side of El Capitan and that's why that's called the Dawn Wall. And it, there's a slight pause in his voice and so I caught something because of, of my background with depression and emotional struggles. I caught something so I actually did some study on this and I found out that they actually kind of took something out of their documentary and it confirmed exactly what I thought was happening was the real story is he was crushed, he was broken with everything that happened. And so what he did was he drove out to El Capitan that he knew so well. And he thought, I'm gonna go climb it without equipment. And that way, if I climb, I've dealt with it. And if I fall, then it's all over. He went there with a suicidal mindset. And what had transformed him was when the morning light rose and illuminated something that caught his attention that all of a sudden brought a semblance of hope that something could change. Something had to change. And it's that which Psalm 130 verse five through six talks about. Like the watchmen that wait in the morning, like the watchmen that wait for the morning, they look for the morning to dawn. If you're here today, I wanna to encourage you this morning that if you're in a place, maybe you're like Tommy this morning, that you feel like life is crushing you today. Maybe if you're here this morning and you feel like that you have lost all hope and you, I love that, that he used that word crush and you just feel crushed on the inside. I feel like in my spirit, there's just somebody watching today, listening today, you feel absolutely crushed. If you feel that way, then you, congratulations, you're in the same spot as the prophet Jeremiah who penned these words that felt absolutely crushed. But this is what I want to remind you today is this, is you drove in, not in darkness, you drove in in light. That just as the sun rises, so does hope come every single day. And if you're here today, you're watching online or you're with us today, if you showed up, that means you've got breath in your body and you still have hope. And hope is alive. And hope has a name. And his name is, it's Jesus. Bow your heads with me.